Good morning. Ooh, how y'all doing today? Awesome. I want to start by saying if this is your first time joining us here in our sanctuary at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, or if you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. For those of you that don't know, I am Pastor Nathan, and today we are going to be continuing our look at worship as we're learning important principles from what is taking place in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. And as we spoke about last week, we kind of started developing that idea that worship is such a wonderful and powerful and important aspect of our faith. It's uh, unfortunately something that, that a lot of Christians tend to neglect in one way or another, and yet it is foundational and actually at the top of the list of what God desires from his people. And so, you know, the whole idea of gathering here on Sundays as the body of Christ, you know, getting here to worship as one body, this is, it's awesome. It's great. It's a wonderful opportunity, but I really, really look forward to being with you all in heaven, worshiping right in God's presence, right before him. It's just, yeah, I can't wait for that. So the last few weeks as we've been going through Revelation, we've seen a whole lot of stuff. Starting in chapter four, we saw the apostle John caught up into heaven as he was invited up there by God. And the first thing he saw when he got there was this glorious throne and the one who sits on the throne. And there he described it as as having this this glory coming off the throne of God as having the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And then around that throne, he saw a rainbow with the appearance of an emerald just surrounding the whole throne. And then before the throne, this beautiful sea of glass. And then there, as he continues to look, he sees these four very strange living creatures that are surrounding the throne there. One with the, uh, looked like a lion, one looked like an ox, one with the face of a man, and one that looked like an eagle. And we saw there in chapter four that when these four creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to God Almighty, the 24 elders, which represent the entire body of Christ, would fall down before God in worship casting their crowns before his feet because really, before God Almighty, what, what worth do we have to deserve crowns, right? He is the one that deserves all the glory. And so they cast their crowns before him and then we get to chapter five where John sees a scroll in the hand of the one who sits on the throne, God Almighty. But he also sees that in that moment there was nobody around that could open that scroll. Nobody around that could take that scroll and read it. And that scroll representing the the authority, the ownership of, of all of creation, right? Creation that was languishing under the yoke of sin and death and decay and mankind, us, who are, who are trapped and bound under the slavery of sin. And, and that scroll that represented the, the, the reclaiming of all that, the dealing with that finally, in that moment, John saw that nobody was worthy to open that scroll, and so he weeps and he weeps until one of the elders approaches him and says, hey, bro, don't cry. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. He has conquered, right? And so then John looks up expecting, and, and what I see there is expecting to see a lion, right? Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. There. He looks up, and instead of seeing a lion, he sees one as the lamb who had been slaughtered, the one who paid the price 
The redemption clause fulfilled it to purchase back not just creation, but to purchase back us, to give us the right and the ability to find salvation in him. And so John then watches as this one takes the scroll and all of heaven erupts in worship. Glorious picture. And so the whole scene teaches us all kinds of principles about our own worship of God. And we started that last week in our previous message. We saw that worship is is really a great stabilizer for the Christian life because it keeps us focused. Worship keeps us from straying off into self-absorption or or self-righteousness or self-promotion and self-glory because worship keeps us in that place where it's all about him, what he did, what he accomplished. It's all about Jesus, all about him and his work. And so worship keeps our sights firmly fixed on the one who redeemed us the one who died for us, the one who paid the price for us, the one who fights for us, the one who is even now praying for us, the one who leads us, teaches us, guides us, right? Worship keeps our sights on him and him alone. And that's important because life can be full of overwhelming circumstances, right? Life can be full of difficulties and challenges. And the big question always before us is what do we do in those difficult circumstances? Where do we set our sights in those difficult circumstances? Where do we find hope and reassurance? Do we worship God in those difficult circumstances, or do we give in to the negativity and the anxiety and the worry? That's the big question, right? And we're always to look to him because he overcomes all. He already did it. We have victory in Christ. And so chapters four and five of Revelation introduce us to worship, what I'm calling true worship, the worship that we see taking place there in heaven, and there we see order, right? Worship of God is not a chaotic mess. (laughs) There's order to it. There's unity in the worship. We see that it was primarily a response to God. That's what worship is. It's not about us. It's not about my likes and my tastes and what, do I, what I want. It's not about putting me in the right mood or making me feel a certain way. It's all about him. And it's all about a response to what he has done. And then so in the last part of Revelation 5, as we're closing today, we, saw, we see three songs of worship in verses 8 through 14. The first one we looked at last week, where we saw the four living creatures and the elders fall down in worship at what Jesus had done. That was the context of that one. Their worship was in response to what Jesus had done, taking the scroll, claiming the rulership, the authority, the ownership of all of creation, everything in the earth, and then, and then through that satisfying the, the redemption clause, right? Redeeming all of it that was cursed by sin. Today we're gonna look at the next two worship songs here, and we're gonna see the multitude of angels erupting in praise at not what he has done, but at who he is, which is another critical reason that we worship God, because of who he is. And then the third song is all of creation praising the Lamb for his relationship with the Father. And so through it all, we're gonna be encouraged, continue to be encouraged at what true worship is, what it looks like, and our attitude in worship, and why we should always strive to have a lifestyle of worship. To not be people who only worship God on Sundays when we gather together, but to worship him every day, at all times, in every circumstance, because of how good it is for us. And so we're going to open up today that way as we do with worship, and I just encourage you guys to just let go of anything distracting you. Let Jesus fill your vision this morning. Let him be the sole thing in your sights as you lift up praise and worship to his holy name. Amen? Let's pray. Father.
we love you. God, we're so thankful for who you are and what you've done. Lord, you redeemed us. You paid the price for all of our sin, past, present, and future. God, you made salvation possible. And God, without you, there is no salvation. And so, Lord, we're so grateful for that. And God, we want to praise you, Lord, not just for what you've done, but we want to praise you for who you are. We want to praise you for everything you are, God, because you are worthy. You are holy. You you are God Almighty, Lord. We love you so much. And so, God, we ask this morning as we worship, God, it wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be, um, we wouldn't even be in the equation, Lord, but our vision would be full of you and only you, God, to praise you and your holy name for what you've done and who you are. So God, bless us this morning as we continue to study your word. Speak to us and encourage us, Lord, on how we can worship you better as we live our life here on this earth to your glory. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We are in Revelation chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 11, looking through to verse 14 this morning. So let's go ahead and read that for context. Again, we're right in the middle of John's experience in heaven, experiencing the worship that is taking place right there in God's throne room. So verse 11, he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. And so verse 11 here in this, in this chapter of Revelation picks up where John is now noticing um, other attendees in this worship service other than the four living creatures and the 24 elders that he had kind of been fixated on at this point. And if you remember the 24 elders, um, they represent the entire body of Christ there in heaven worshiping God. And so... As I said, he had so far been focused as he got there in chapter four and immediately saw the throne and immediately saw the one sitting on the throne, the glory coming from that, the glory of God that's there. He was caught by this image of these creatures, these four living creatures and the elders, and he had been focusing on or observing primarily their praise and worship as the four living creatures, it says, worship endlessly. And then the elders would fall down and cast their crowns and and just this ongoing presence of worship there in heaven. But then as that worship service was taking place, he witnessed the redemptive transaction where Jesus took the scroll and fulfilled the redemption of all mankind and all of creation. And then again, he saw the response of the four living creatures and the elders again falling down in worship, just praising God for what he had done. Then we get to verse 11. It's almost like he like blinked and noticed who else was in attendance at this thing, at this event, this uncountable number of angels all around him. Notice there it says countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. In case you think you could count them, it says countless, all right? 
It's an important note there. There, there was a guy once, um, a, a theologian um, in early church history who counted up the angels and, and was like, there's exactly this many. And I don't remember the number. It was some insane number. But, um, but, but countless. Countless is pretty self-explanatory there. But this is very similar to the experience of the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. You guys remember that story early in the Gospels as the angel appeared to the shepherds to declare that the, the Messiah had been born. And then it says there in the story that suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host all praising glory to God in the highest, right? And that word multitude there means in the original language, all of them. So you can imagine the experience that those shepherds had out in the field, right? This angel appears and they're afraid and the angel's like, hey, don't be afraid, bro. I got something important to tell you. And so he tells them and then all of a sudden, blink, boom, all the angels, the countless thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands all there praising God. So this is the, the same idea here, this experience that John is having there in heaven, this number beyond counting of the angels praising God, the largest worship service ever. Now angels are an interesting topic biblically, and over the years, um, there have been various different people that have claimed to have sightings of angels. They've seen angels here or there, right? People, you know, now you could go on YouTube and, and spend uh, a, a really a ridiculous amount of time <laughs> looking at, I have no personal experience in this, right? Um, looking at videos people have of, oh, I saw an angel in the clouds and I saw an angel here. And it's always like, pictures in the angels in the clouds and there's videos of this over here and people have pictures of angels and sometimes they see angels in their toast right as just people have sightings of of angels all over the all over the place now many of those sightings i think are are fakes or hoaxes but some of those sightings are real because angels are real they are real creatures that exist in 2019 there was a poll of non-religious people and in that poll, one in three believed, again, non-religious people believed in guardian angels. One in 10 in that poll reported having actually seen an angel. In another poll, they found that 21% of those who, quote, never worship in church confess to believe in angels, which is very interesting. And then in another poll, I found this really interesting. Even 7% of atheists polled in one poll professed to believe in angels. I don't believe in God, but angels, yeah. No, I, could, I, could, I can consider that. Um, angels are, are an interesting topic. 34 of the 66 books of the Bible mention angels. That's just over half of the books of the Bible mention angels in one form or another. And it's interesting. It's 17 Old Testament books and 17 New Testament books split right down the middle, mention angels. In the Old Testament, the word angel is used 103 times, and in the New Testament, the word angel is seen 165 times. Now, we have talked about in the past that the word angel itself in the Greek, in the New Testament writings, actually simply means messenger. That's what the word, the original Greek word that is translated angel means, messenger. And that word technically can refer to either a human messenger or a supernatural messenger. And so when we see that word, especially in Revelation, where he said, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, um, and then in um, chapter one, where he said, um, 
um, talking about angels there, there's like, it, it, it could be this supernatural angel, which I believe is taking place in the beginning of Revelation 1, but then as he starts to talk about deliver these messages to the angels of the churches, some think that that's referring to like the pastor of the church or the lead elder or an actual courier who was taking the letter. Um, anyways, there's, there's some, some disagreement on that, but we do see that this, this word messenger is both used to refer to human, human messengers and angelic beings that we commonly refer to as angels. And throughout the book of Revelation, when we do see the word angel, it is often referring to what we would understand as these supernatural beings, these supernatural messengers, whose purpose is to praise God in heaven, and we see that over and over again, but also sometimes to do God's bidding here on earth. Now angels, they're, they're, they're beings, created by God to do God's will. That's what we see throughout Scripture. They do God's will wherever God would send them, and they do that according to his, his will at all times. Now, angels were um, surrounding Jesus throughout his life. We saw angels there in Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. We see angels ministering to Jesus when he was in the wilderness during his temptation. We see angels are the ones that moved the stone from his tomb at his resurrection. And just angels were everywhere. Supernatural beings, these angels were everywhere present in Jesus' life while he was here on earth. Now what is interesting about angels is most of the time they're invisible. We can't see them, which is probably a good thing because in scripture every time they do appear visibly, the first thing they have to say is don't be afraid. That's the first thing out of their mouth because something about their visible presence is frightening to mankind, is scary. And so they always say, don't be afraid. And some of that might come from not just their presence, but, but even knowledge of, of who they were. Because angels are kind of like God's first police, if you will. They kept man out of the garden after the fall with a flaming sword. Um, they were vis uh, visited Abraham. Abraham talked to them and it says that he fell in fear when he saw them, but then he did invite them over for dinner. Uh, we see angels serving as God's dispensers of judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels are the ones that sprung Peter out of jail in Acts chapter 12. And so they're, they're, they're real, they're active, they're present, but not always visible. Now, I think they're invisible when they uh, are here working often because of man's propensity to worship that which inspires awe, that which is supernatural, that which is almost too much to behold or unexplainable, and so I think that's why angels are mostly invisible, because man, they see an angel, they want to worship it. Oh, you're some supernatural being, I'm going to fall down at your feet and worship you, which incidentally I think is the source of most of the cults in the world today. Some demonic being appearing to somebody, posing as an angel, and poof. Well, it was the angel Moroni, right? And so now you have Mormonism, and it's, it's a cult. And so many other faiths have sprung from false angels appearing to people. But as a species, as a human species, we'll worship angels. Some of us get tied up in worshiping saints. We'll worship pretty much anything besides God. You know, we, we, we'll find anything to put before us to worship. But we struggle sometimes getting to that point of just worshiping God with true worship. And it's not that that means we're messed up or we're some you know, hopeless people because even John the Apostle was tempted to worship an angel. We see it in Revelation chapter 22 where after the angel has been revealing these things on behalf of Jesus to, to John throughout this whole book here, it tells us that John fell down to worship at the foot of the angel who was showing them these things and then the angel's like, don't do that. 
Don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant. Worship God and him alone. And so, John struggled with that as well. But for reasons that can be good or bad, it's just we as mankind sometimes feel like we have to go to middle management first, right? We feel like we, we can't go to God directly. I mean, he's God, right? He's busy. He's running uh, existence. And so, like, we have to, like, make an appointment with a secretary first. Or we, you know, and this is where in Catholicism, there's an idea there that, like, don't bother Jesus. Go talk to his mom. And so they pray to Mary first, right? And it's like, no, Jesus is available. He's God, He's accessible to all of us at all times, but sometimes we feel like, well, we can't go straight to the boss, you know? And um, I remember early in my days here working at the church, um, when I first came on staff at Hosanna, I was running junior high ministry, and so my hair was always dyed different colors. It was blue, it was green, it was yellow. Um, you know, I had earrings in my ears. I was just, I was a junior high pastor, right? It was like I kind of fit the, fit the bill there. But I remember um, I had a very... Like, I'm going to go straight to the boss attitude. And our assistant pastor at the time, Pastor Ken Van Mersbergen, um, he was my boss. He was my direct report. But anytime, like, I didn't feel like he was, like, hearing me, I would bypass him and go to Pastor Gary all the time. And it would just make him so mad at me, you know? And I learned, you know, respect and, and, and chain of authority at that point. But, but some of us don't struggle with that, but a lot of us do. We, we, have to, we have to go through the steps. We can't go to God directly, or we feel like we can't go to God directly. And so Satan will put stuff in front of us. It's like, oh, worship this, worship this, worship this, worship this. And it's everything but God sometimes. Now, um, Daniel, in his book, the book of Daniel, he refers to angels as watchers, watchers. And that's an interesting phrase because you think, well, if they're watchers, what are they watching? You have any idea? It's us. They're watching us. They're watching you and me. They are curiously interested in what goes on on this earth here. And we see that throughout Scripture. And, and as watchers, they're kind of like heaven's uh, surveillance teams, right, if you will. They're, 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 they're checking out what's going on in this earth. And, you know, I just want to encourage us to all think about that for a moment. You know, God is omnipotent. God is everywhere. God sees everything. But the angels are also watching to see what God is doing in and through our lives. But this uncountable number of watchers is watching you and me. And for some, that brings comfort, right? Oh, the angels are watching out for me. That's, that's so comfortable. Other of us are like, oh, no. They, they saw me do that. They saw me do what? You know, and, and so it's, 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 it's worrisome for us. I, I read a quote that said, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And so, but as watchers, the, the greatest thing that the angels are interested in and what we're gonna see is a part of, of why they're worshiping God and what their worship of God is all about, the thing that, that, that is of greatest interest to them is the salvation that God has extended to you and me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstance the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. They long to catch a glimpse of these things. 
Why? Because God treats no other being in all of creation quite the way he treats you and me. We are such a special thing to God. The Bible calls us the apple of his eye. He has extended to us a grace and a salvation that really doesn't extend to anything else in creation. And that is just of great interest to the angels. They've heard the prophets prophesy about the Messiah to come. They heard that the Messiah would come and die for the sins of of mankind, of of sins of the whole world. They heard about how he would come to redeem the very world and everyone in it, the very creation that was fallen to the curse of sin. They, 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 They heard about this, that all who would believe in Jesus would be saved and forgiven and set free and and they 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 heard all of this. And then they watched it take place. And I think as they were watching and, and, and waiting, and even today in some of our lives, as they're watching your life and waiting for you to respond to God, I think sometimes they wonder and they're perplexed as they watch us turn away from the resources God has given us. As they watch us turn away from the access that we have to God through the blood of Christ, and we want to put you know, all these barriers between us and God. I think they're perplexed as they see us insisting on doing things our own way and our own effort and falling on our faces over and over and over again, going, but God has offered them so much, so much. Why, why do they try and do things any other way? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that some of us had even entertained angels without knowing it. Think about that, right? Some of us have entertained angels without even knowing it. So that tells us that when angels appear to us visibly, it's not always the scary, don't be afraid mode. Sometimes it's just somebody we've helped or somebody we've engaged with. We don't know, but if you haven't yet or if you never know or if you don't get to experience angels here on earth, what Revelation 5 shows us is you will get to in heaven. You are going to be worshiping with them in heaven. They will be worshiping with you, the countless numbers of angels, praising God Almighty for who he is. And so what do they do in their worship? Look in verse 12. It starts out there and it says, they said with a loud voice. Now I want to stop there because I want you to notice something that is different from what the elders did in verse nine. Now, if you have your your tablet or your app or your Bible open, look at verse nine. What does it tell us that the elders did in their worship? It says the elders sang a new song. But here we see it says that the angels simply said with a loud voice. Subtle distinction, but two different words. It was the same at the birth of Christ, that, that time where all the angels, the multitude appeared and, and we're, we're proclaiming, you know, glory to God in the highest. But when you go back to the Gospels there, it doesn't say that that multitude of angels sang glory to God in the highest. It's the same word that it says they said. They simply spoke it. They simply declared it. And that's what that word said means, means to declare. It's just simply a spoken declaration. It's interesting that the angels aren't singing. They're not singing like the church does. They're not singing like the elders do who represent the church. They're speaking. They're simply speaking, saying, and declaring things. Now, that's a detail you might not notice, you know, as as you read through some of this. You might overlook this because, after all, don't all the songs tell us that the angels sing, right? Every year at Christmas, hark the herald, herald angels sing. That's what the songs say. So isn't that what the angels are doing? Well, 
Those songs aren't scripture. Scripture is scripture. And it's an interesting contrast because when we see the angels declaring worshiping God, we always see this word that they are saying. And it's an interesting contrast to the elders who represent the church who are singing. Now, there's only one place in Scripture, incidentally, where it seems to indicate angels singing, and it's a somewhat cryptic reference. It's in Job chapter 38, verse 7, and it says, while the morning stars sang together. That is the only place in all of Scripture where it looks like it's saying that the angels were singing rather than saying, and, and again, some debate whether morning stars there refers to angels or not. So, what is the point, Right? Why would the angels be singing and the angels sing? Or to add to that question, if you notice, the elders are singing to the lamb. The angels are singing about the lamb. Subtle difference again, but an important difference, I think. Verse 9, the elders sing, you are worthy. Here in verse 12, the angels declare, worthy is the lamb. Why the difference? What is the difference? I think the difference represents this. The elders who are representing the church, representing you and me, representing the redeemed, we have something to sing about. We have something to to declare through music and song and vocals. We have something to sing about that the angels don't. The church, the elders represented us, they have been redeemed. They have been saved from their lost, sinful, corrupted state. They have been washed by the blood of Christ. Their price has been paid by his sacrifice. They have been saved from the pit. They have been saved from their selves. They have been saved from the curse of sin. They have been redeemed. And it's the same for you and I today. You see, the angels have no personal experience of this type of salvation. They were created by God. And, and the angels have never been through that situation of being redeemed from sin. All who have experienced this salvation, you and I, we, we, we know this, this moment of being set free. We know the recognition that this is who I was in this gross, sinful, disgusting state, and God did all the work to save me and redeem me, and it's just through faith I am forgiven, right? That is something to sing about and praise about. The angels, they don't know that experience. Spurgeon said this, it's superstitious to worship angels, but it is proper to love them. How free from envy the angels were. Christ did not come from heaven to save their peers when they fell. When Satan, the mighty angel, dragged with him a third part of the stars of heaven, Christ did not stoop from his throne to die for them. He left them to be reserved in chains and darkness until the last great day. Yet angels did not envy men either. How free too they were from pride. They were not ashamed to come and tell the news of Christ's birth to humble shepherds. Mark well how they told the story, and you will love them too. But the point of this, and the reason I'm bringing this out here, is you and I are not angels. So sing, okay? Praise God. Sing out to him in worship, right? The fact that God is who he is is not simply a statement of fact for us. It's an experience we have experienced as his children, Right? You've, we've met people in life who, who try and explain an experience that they've never had. And you could tell if you've been through it, right? You've been through something and someone's trying to say, well, this is what it's like. And you're like, you've never actually experienced that, have you? You, know, you may have the facts right. You may have an accurate description of things. But you haven't quite experienced what I've experienced. Um, Years ago, when we, we had a Sunday night ministry here at Hosanna called Eternity Now, 
And that was one of those opportunities where Pastor Gary yet this, let this crazy young guy named Nathan kind of carte blanche do what he wants with this night. And so I just was like, oh, we're going to have like concerts and we're going to do all these crazy things. And, 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 he, and he was just supported that. I'm just, I'm so blessed, you know. Looking back on it, I'm like, wow, what a risk he took. But still, it was like, it was, it was a wonderful time where God was doing this amazing work. And the other day we were in a leadership meeting and we were talking about these times where we've stepped out of our comfort zone to, to show people that God loves them, right? And we're talking about um, um, having a heart that is outward focused, right? Because sometimes we could get inward focused as Christians. And I was telling this story of the, you know, some people that would come to um, Sunday nights would come specifically because I was very transparent, possibly too transparent, but I was very transparent about who I was before I was a Christian and the struggles I went through and the things I did. And, and at the time, though, I would have people come up to me after every service and go, wow, you really get it. <laughs> because you said you did X, Y, Z, and that's what I'm in right now, or that's what I'm struggling with. And so it gave me a bridge to people. Now, that is not to diminish the fact that, hey, everybody, go out and have horrible experiences so you can connect with people evangelistically. That's not what I'm saying. But the idea is, is that these angels here had never experienced salvation. And I think that's a part of what they're doing in their declaration. They're just simply stating a fact of, of truth. Now, it's an important fact, it's a real fact, it's a valid fact, but they're just declaring what has been done. We're the ones who have been redeemed, we have been saved, we have something to sing about. We don't just observe worship, we don't just see God and speak of objective truth, we've experienced his salvation personally. We recognize the pit that we have been saved from, and, and, and quite honestly, as humans, we are the ones that have the capacity to lose the wonder of God and salvation. We're the ones that have the capacity to lose that. We, we're the ones who often need to be reminded about who God is and what he's done, and then we marvel all over again at, at what Jesus has done for us, and then when we find ourselves in that place where we're marveling all over again, right, we come back to that place where we're falling down in worship, and we're just singing all over again, but for the angels, the truth of God is simply an ever-present, unchanging truth of reality. It's not something we'd be like, wow, it's like, duh, he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. It's just, it's just fact of reality. And so their declaration of who God is, is is not necessarily born of a recognition of what God did for them in their sinful state. And then having an emotionally or experientially moved response to God for that. But rather, it's just a straightforward statement of fact. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Now, again, it's not to say that there isn't awe and reverence in that statement of fact. I'm sure there was awe and reverence in all of that, but there isn't that almost shocked at what he did response that we can sometimes have, right? And I think sometimes when we realize God saved me, oh man, the emotion, the, 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 the singing that can well up from that is just powerful. And what it is they declare so matter-of-factly what it is that the angels are declaring here as if it's an impossible notion to even consider otherwise, we see in verse 12, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb. That's just fact. That, there's no negotiation in that fact. 
Again, sometimes we're the ones that are like, you are worthy? Question mark? And the angels are like, worthy is the lamb. That's just period. That's just truth. They're declaring God's worth and singing about it when they say that worthy is the lamb. Now back in verse nine, the elders use this same word, right? They said, you are worthy to take the scroll. And so we see worthy in the elders' worship, this acknowledgement and this singing of his worthiness. And now we see the declaration from the angels of the worthiness of God in both places. Later on in verse 14, it's gonna tell us that as the uh, four living creatures said amen, the elders then fall down and worshiped. Now I'm pointing that out because this word worthy and the word worshiped, they have the same root. They, the, the English words come from the same root. They have the same uh, etymolo- entomological root, if you want the fancy words for it. Now, the English word that we have today, worship, when we say worship, it comes from two old English words, a word for worth, and then the word speece, worth speece. This was the old English word that our modern word worship comes from. Now that word speece in the old, old English was meant the condition or the existence of something. That word eventually became the word ship. And so when we say friendship, I have friendship with you, what I'm saying is that, that you exist in the condition of friend with me, friendship, right? That's this idea that we have of that. And then even in today's modern slang, when, we were, when we're gonna ship people, what are we saying? We're declaring that, oh, we think they're dating. We think they're in a relationship. We're shipping these people. So, but this idea of, of worth speece, people used to say, hey, let's worth speece this object because we want to ascribe to it worth. That word worth speece eventually got shortened to worth ship and then it eventually got shortened all the way down to worship, and that's the modern English word that we have today. So the idea of this word is imputing, assigning to, acknowledging the worth or value of something or someone. When we worship something, what we're doing is deeming it worthy, and we worship that which we deem worthy. And so the important point here is that we should be people who worship God for no other reason than he is worth it. He is worthy of praise. No other reason. Sometimes we get caught up, right? Oh God, I wanna worship you today because you did this thing for me. God, I wanna worship you today because, right? We, 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 we have these um, values that we assign to things and if you do this, God, I will worship you and if you perform this way, I will worship you and that's not true worship. We worship God for what he's done, yes, but we worship God for who he is just because he is worthy of it. And when we do that, we find ourselves worshiping God regardless of whether we get anything out of it. Because worship, again, is not for us. It's not about what we get. It's not to make us feel good. It's for him. It's a response to a worthy God. That's why we worship. But again, that's not to say that we don't get anything out of worship because it does affect us. It does change us. It does move us. But that's not our reason for worship. A.W. Tozer said this, whoever seeks God as a means toward a desired end will not find God, for God will not be used. So worshiping, it's imputing, it's subscribing, it's assigning, it's declaring worth to God or the worth of God. That's what we do when we worship. Now, in verse 14, if you drop down real quick, you'll see that word worshiped there as the angels are worshiping God. And that word worshiped in the Greek is proskuneo. 
It's an interesting word that we get an idea of the attitude of worship as we're ascribing worth to God because this word proskuneo means to kiss the ground when prostrated before a superior. It's the idea of bowing down before the king and kissing the ground or kissing their feet, right? Um, An extreme act of humility there, but many scholars today, they look at this word proskuneo and they simply render it down to the idea of, of to kiss toward, is this idea of proskuneo, this idea that we get this word worshiping from in verse 14. It's an intimate word is the point. It's a loving term. It's a term of relationship is what, how it's rendered here. There's reverence in that. There's reverence for the authority and reverence for you know, the, the, the authority of the one you're worshiping, but it goes even deeper than just a reverence. It goes all the way down to directing affection to someone that you're in love with. That's the idea of worshiping. And it ties back to the idea of worth. And, and think about that next time you get the opportunity to worship God. We're going to close service today in worship, right? Think about that. You're praising him with your heart bowed in humility. You're praising him bowed down in honor and reverence to him, yes. But even more so, as you're bowed down with that, with that heart of humility, it's you directing intimate affection to the love of your life. That's worship. That's worship of God. For some, this concept is a little uncomfortable. It's too close, it's too familiar, right? Sometimes we can find ourselves like we're, 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 we're more comfortable or we might prefer to remain in this whole, you're God, I'm your servant relationship, right? You're king, I'm the subject. Like let's, let's keep it there, why? Because there's a comfortable amount, comfortable amount of space between us and him when we keep it in that place. Now, yes, he is king. Yes, we are his subject. Yes, he is God. But when we don't cross the line into that intimate expression of love for the one who is the love of our life, what we're really doing is, yeah, we're giving him 97%, but we're holding back 3%. John 15, 15 says this, Jesus speaking, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me but I chose you. What Jesus is saying to us, his people, is he's like, look, you're my friends. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I'm your king. (laughs) Yes, I'm your Lord. Yes, I'm your master. All true. But I've called you my friends. Come closer. Come closer. Don't, Don't keep this distance between me and you, even in worship. No, like, Ascribe the worth to me that, that, that I'm your friend, that I'm, 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 you know, I'm so deep and close, and, and come closer. Again, A.W. Tozer said, the average Christian thinks of God as being at a safe distance and often looking away. And I think maybe he's like that for some of you here today, that God is a bit distance, dis- distant in your life. Maybe even in your worship, you hold him at arm's length. You know, you, you, you haven't stepped passive. You're king, I'm the subject. You haven't stepped into that intimacy because it feels safe for you. Maybe you've been wounded at some point in life through, through an intimate relationship with somebody. You're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not going to really give you my heart because I, I'm worried what you're going to do with it. And God is saying, trust me. God is saying, worship me. Come close to me. And I can speak from personal experience. When you do that, you experience a love that surpasses everything. 
You, you experience a depth of relationship that, that, that just goes beyond comprehension that when you finally let God in, or more importantly, when you finally step in to what God has for you, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So Jesus is saying, he's like, I, I, I want friendship. I want closeness. I want intimacy. I want to go past duty. I want to go past the rigidity in our relationship. You know, it's... it's yeah, I'm your king, but I'm also your groom. And, and you, church, you're my bride. You're my bride. So, so kiss towards me. Ascribe worth to me in worship. And so let Jesus be close to you. Don't be afraid of him. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you alone. Jesus loves you so much. And so we see the angels here imputing or ascribing to Jesus several things that he is worthy of receiving, it says. And that word receiving means things that, that, that he has come into possession of because he is worth it, right, by taking that scroll. And so they ascribe power. They say, you are the one worthy. Worthy is the lamb who is slaughtered to receive power. That word power there means controlling influence over reality. Jesus is worthy of that. Why? Because he created reality. <laughs> Riches. That word doesn't just mean material wealth or having money. It means an abundance of everything. Jesus, you were worth everything. You were worth having an abundance of everything. And in the context of our worship, God, you are worthy of having an abundance of my focus, an abundance of my attention, an abundance of my priority, an abundance of my money, an abundance of my time, an abundance of my skills. You are worthy of that, Lord. They say wisdom next. That means a transcendent capacity to apply knowledge and experience correctly. I love how correctly is at the end of that definition, right? That he is the one who knows how to do what is right in all times and all ways. What does that mean to us in our worship? That, that when we're trusting him and following him and we feel God through his word, through speaking to us, is leading us to do a thing and we're like, I'm not so sure about that. Guess who's right? God. Because he has all wisdom. They say strength next. That means an exceptional cap capability to get done what needs to get done. Worthy is the lamb to receive what? All strength. He claimed the ownership, the title deed of the earth. He purchased everything. He shed his blood for you and me. We've responded to him in faith in that. And worthy is, is, is him to have all the strength to get when it needs to get done. We couldn't get done our salvation. He did. We can't get done the impossibilities of reconciliation in our, in our relationships or our marriages and reconciliation in in. in, in at work or whatever it may be. He can, though. He has the exceptional capability to get done what needs to get done. And that's why we worship him, to ascribe that worth to him. We love you, God. We're so grateful for what you can do. Honor, that means of great value. Of course we ascribe to him of how much value he is. Glory, that means splendor and greatness and a recognition of prestige. Blessing, that means to be well spoken of. Worthy is a lamb to receive what? To be well spoken of. And that comes down to a lot of not just what we say, but how we live our lives. Right? We say, I worship God. I ascribe to him the worth that, that he is. You know, he, he exists in a state of worthiness in my life. And so, okay, well, how does your life 
Your behavior, how you're living speak to that. Does your life say that, that, that God is worth being well spoken of or does your behavior speak ill of the Lord? It's something to think about. But it's interesting here because this is a sevenfold ascription of all the things that Jesus deserves and has, but things he didn't receive the first time he came to earth. A sevenfold ascription, right? That seven, again, coming up in Revelation where that, that concept of seven is this biblical idea of completeness. This is a complete um, uh, um, ascription of, of God's worthiness. Everything that he is due, and interestingly enough, you go through this list and you read through his life here on earth and he, and he didn't get any of that. He laid it all aside. But now in verse 13, we get to the third song. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So first we saw the living creatures and the elders worshiping God. Then we saw the angels worshiping God. And now it's basically all of creation. The creation he redeemed from the curse of sin, right? Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them. Everything, everything in all of creation here on earth is worshiping God. So we saw the elders worshiping God in response to their redemption, right, for what God has done. We see the angels worshiping God for who he is. He is God Almighty. He has rulership and claim over everything. And then here creation is now worshiping him, really focused on the relationship between the Lamb and the Father. And this is kind of like the grand finale, right? The whole worship service has been building up to this. But it's interesting, they say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You see the acknowledgement of the Father and the Son. This is fulfillment of Philippians chapter two in that sense where the Lamb who was slaughtered, who paid the price to redeem everything is now going to be worshiped as God because he is God, right? In Philippians chapter two, verse nine. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everything, everyone, every possible thing in existence is going to acknowledge who Jesus is. One day, that he is the Lord over all creation, that he is the only deserving one. Everyone's going to confess that. You'll confess that. I'll confess that. So will every atheist confess that. Every agnostic confess that. Every living thing will confess that. All will confess. All will bow because Jesus is Lord. Now, you can do that now, voluntarily. <laughs> as a recipient of salvation and being adopted and part of God adopted into and part of God's family or you could do it later forcibly as a member of the conquered enemy you can bow now before you're banished out of God's presence forever or you can or you can bow then be right before you're banished out of God's presence or you could bow now and just give him the recognition the worth that he has in receiving that free gift of salvation that he offers you and then enjoy his presence forever as we're seeing here in Revelation. But you will bow. You will confess. That is the reality. Either way, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
But what I want to notice here is the worship. It's directed, again, at the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So we've been through chapter 4 and 5 weaving in and out of the picture of the Trinity. I see here in heaven, right? When he first got there to heaven, he sees the throne. He sees the glory on the throne. It's his glory emanating from the throne. And then he describes it with Jasper and Carnelian, which was a nod to the Messiah and the sacrificed Lamb of God, right? And then right before that throne, he says, I see these lampstands that are the Holy Spirit, right? And so we see this picture of God and his triunity existing there. And then we see a separation of that when we get to chapter five where the one on the throne has a scroll in his hand and then the lamb steps up to grab that scroll. So now we see the father and the son separately in their, in their uh, um, persons there in heaven. And here we see the worship going to both of them as God, God the father and God the son being worshiped together as God. And again, we don't have time to go into an exhaustive teaching on the Trinity. There's a lot of that on YouTube. Pastor Mike Winger has some great videos on that as well if you want to look at those. But the idea here is we see elements of the triunity of God and the glory going to both the Father and both the Son separate but as one God. And that's the final lesson here that I get out of this for worship is for worship to be true worship, it has to have the right object. It has to have the right object. And Jesus God the Son is God and deserves the worship. But Jesus, God the Son, is not the Father. He is not the Spirit, but he exists in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Spirit together as one God. And if you're going, man, that's a little bit hard to wrap my brain around, welcome to the club, okay? The Trinity, the triune existence of the Godhead is something that the Scripture teaches And it also teaches simultaneously that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are separate personas. How that renders together, I don't fully know. But I believe God's word. And I believe it renders together in God's infinite perfection and knowledge. And my little puny human brain, I'm gonna stand here and go, God, if I can't understand it, it must not be true. I don't understand necessarily how a jet engine works. Does that mean jet engines don't exist? No. But the point is here is that Scripture is very clear that there is one God and very clear that God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons, and we see pictures of that here in Revelation in the very throne room of heaven. And so verse 14, we'll close on this. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. You know, the worship that God accepts is the worship that God defines. And, incidentally, is the worship that God deserves. And that worship is worship of himself and nothing else. It's worship of God Almighty as he has defined and described himself in his word. You could redefine God all you want. You can disagree with me all you want. But if your definition of who God is is in disagreement with his word, then you are in idolatry. You have created a God of your own making. God's word defines who he is. God's word tells us who to worship. And it is God himself. So when you worship, are you thinking of God? Who he is? What he's done? Or are you thinking of other things? Right? I've been there. It's easy to get distracted in worship. It's a labor to be like, ugh, focus, right? When you worship, are, are you trying to please God 
are you trying to please someone else? Right? Sometimes we could get caught up in, especially, you know, maybe you're single and hey, that person over there I think is cute. So I'm gonna try and sing, you know, I want them to I want them to hear my worship, you know? No. You know the memes? There's all these memes online of, you know, high school boys, how they impress the high school girls and they're carrying like as many chairs as possible to set up in the in the in the youth room. <laughs> Are you trying to please God in your worship? Is he your sole and only focus? It's not about, I hope the worship leader hears me and asks me to be on the worship team. No, it's God. My praise goes to you and only you, and it's for you. In the context of a life of worship, what is your life about? What are you living for? Are you living for God, his glory? Are you living for other things? What holds the most worth to you? because that is ultimately what you will worship. I had the opportunity to to talk to a young man the other day. He was a door-to-door salesman, and of course last week, and I'm challenging you guys to pray this prayer, God, give me somebody to to talk to about you or to encourage in the faith, right? Because he'll bring them right to your door. (laughs) And representing his company, and I step out, and in the conversation, he's like, you know, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor, and he's like, I just gave my life to Jesus three months ago. And so then we stood there for an hour as I got to just encourage this young man on, on business, right? I used to be a businessman. I was an entrepreneur. And he was like, yeah, I really struggle with chasing the dollar and trying to live for Jesus. And I'm like, hey, let's talk about that, you know? And an hour goes by, and I just get to pray with him and encourage him on how to be a Christian in, his, in the world of sales, right? And it was just this wonderfully beautiful thing where I was like, look, money is not the thing to worship. It's going to let you down. You can't take it with you the nice car, the, the boat, the house. You can't take it with you. God's not against money. Don't, don't misunderstand me there. I think the kingdom of God needs Christian millionaires because those are the people who are building hospitals and orphanages and funding missionaries and so much. But, but the people that God will raise up and give those type of resources to are also the people who say, money's nothing. God is my priority. Right, And it's like, what is of worth to you in your life? Because that's the thing that's going to get your worship. And the reality, the truth, the statement of fact of, of all existence is Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He is the one that gets our worship. He, the word that is God, that came to this earth, became flesh, dwelt among us. He is worthy. He deserves our worship. He deserves the acceptance and the acknowledgement that all, his, that all is his. He's the one that, that has all the power and the riches and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing. But even more than just the statement of fact, even more than just the acknowledgement that, that he is worthy, even more than that, because he bled and died for you and me, because he was slaughtered to pay the price for our sin and to redeem us from all um, the, the curse of sin and to redeem all of creation back to him from the power and the control of Satan, because he's done all of that, we go beyond, way beyond a simple acknowledgement of truth. We go beyond a simple statement of fact. We fall down. We bow down in humility and thankfulness and sing to him from the depth of our hearts in gratitude for what he has done for us because of who he is. As those who have experienced the truth, 
those who have experienced the salvation, those who have been brought in not just as subjects, not just as servants, but close, immediate, intimate family and friend of Jesus. And that's what we worship him for. That's why we worship him. That's how we worship him. And so as we close today's service and worship, I just want to challenge all you guys. Don't just sing a song. Some of you are like, amen, you're out the door as fast as possible. Maybe stay today. Maybe stay today. Now, if you gotta go, you gotta go. I understand that. But, but if you don't have to leave, maybe join together with the body here at Hosanna this morning and ascribe the worth that is to your God. Amen? Let's pray. Or let's pray. <laughs> then we'll praise. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, you are worthy. Lord, and as the angels declared, worthy is the Lamb. Lord, you are worthy to receive all power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Lord, as all of creation cries out to you in worship that, that all the blessing and the honor and glory and power go to you, God, Lord. We, we, we join with that acknowledgement, but God, more so. We sing out from the depths of our heart in gratitude for our salvation. Lord, we don't just acknowledge you as God, we've experienced you as our God. We don't just declare the fact of who you are, Lord, we've experienced who you are, and we are so grateful for that. And so, God, may we be people who sing loudly to you. And in that, we declare everything about what you've done and who you are, God. Lord, that we would bow our hearts and that we would bow our minds, that we would be low in humility, acknowledging who you are, God, but not in this separation of, 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 of king and servant only, but in an acknowledgement of that and the fact, Lord, that you call us friend. And so, Lord, may we come close to you to praise you, to experience that intimacy that you desire with us, your children. God, we love you so much. Bless our lives, Lord, as we draw close to you. Teach us how to live as we draw close to you. Guide us as we draw close to you. Lead us as we draw close to you. And God, help us not to stray by keeping you as the sole focus of our worship. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's worship, guys.